Let me welcome, welcome you there this morning, uh, especially those of you that are visiting with us. I'm happy that you're here, and we certainly hope that uh, your time with us here today will be a blessing. And I also want to recognize and, and thank those that are joining us through streaming. Um, I'm kind of an old guy. I don't really understand that, but they tell me that there are people all over. All, Mark told me all over the world that would be checking in with us uh, this morning via streaming. I said, thanks for telling me that. Uh, you know, I thought it was only about six or 700 that I had to worry about. But uh, in fact, uh, Mark told me that he intends to be streaming this morning. So Mark, just want you to know you're missed, brother, by me. I don't know about anybody else, but I certainly wish you were here. Uh, let's, let's begin with the prayer. Father, it's always a privilege to be able to come together and spend time with, uh, with brothers and sisters and worship you and to spend time in your word. And, and we just ask that you fill us now with your spirit. Open our minds and our hearts to the things that, uh, that we will look at today. And we pray that your word will not just be a part of our minds, but that it will become part of our actions and that we'll live your word out every day and that we'll do it in a way that will honor and bring glory to you. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, there's, a, um, there's an idea that seems to be gaining popularity, or at least I never heard it a whole lot years ago, and it seems like more and more I'm beginning to hear it. And uh, it goes something like this. It's an idea that says that everything happens in my life for a reason, because God has a specific plan for me, and then he orchestrates all events to bring about the completion of that plan. I'd like, now, I believe God has a plan for us, but I'd like to take just a minute and watch a video before we go any further. Further, I've, Hopefully the, um, the audio will work. If not, I'll have to uh, dub it. But let's... Why are you doing that? Making sure nobody's follow us. That would be inconceivable. Despite what you think, you will be caught. And when you are, the prince will see you all hanged. You're sure nobody's follow us? As I told you, it would be absolutely, totally, and in all other ways, inconceivable. No one in Gilder knows what we've done. And no one in Florin could have gotten here so fast. He's climbing the rope. And he's gaining on us. Inconceivable. Faster! I thought I was going faster. You got very good arms. He didn't fall? Inconceivable! You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Okay, I, I hear the phrase often uh, that God has a plan for my life. And I have to ask, is that supported by Scripture? I think it is. God does have a plan for our lives. But when I hear it, I often feel like Mr. Montoya in this video. I don't think it means what you think it means. And so we'd like to spend a little time just going over that a little bit and, and, and seeing what Scripture has to say about God's plan for us. Now, some of you are probably a little bit ahead of me, and you're thinking, um, I know you're not the preacher. You're, you're the stand-in, and you're a retired insurance guy, so you really don't know what you're talking about. I know that God has a plan for my life. I know that because I've got a coffee mug that I bought at a Christian bookstore and on that mug is a verse that specifically says God has a plan for my life. And here's that mug. 
For I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. It comes, it comes out of uh, Jeremiah 29, 11. So you, you might be second, thinking, okay, that, there it is in black and white. God has a plan. Lesson's over. You can do the invitation song now. But not quite so fast. Let's not move so fast because I'd like to make a warning. And the warning is beware of coffee mug theology. <laughs> you see, coffee mugs are pretty small. And so when you take some verses out of Scripture and put them on that coffee mug, you separate them from all the verses that were before and all the verses that were after. And you lift them out of their historical context. And you make it a standalone verse. And when you do that, it's easy and very likely that you'll interpret it to mean something totally different than what it meant when it was embedded into the text. Um, so we need to look at this particular verse and look at it a little closer. Let's go back to Jeremiah 29 and 11 and read, and read that again. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Now in that verse, you is repeated four times. So it's important if we want to understand the verse, we need to understand who is you. You can't really tell from the context of that verse, who it, who it is. So if we back up just one verse and go to 29.10, then we'll have a different perspective. Let's look at that. This is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Now, now we have the historical setting now. We see that, you remember that, that God had entered into a covenant relationship with Abraham and with his descendants, Israel. And God had been faithful to that promise, but Israel had not. In fact, it had been a long time that they had been in rebellion against God when, this, when Isaiah was approached by God and told to go to the Israel and tell them that the Babylonians were going to come and take them into captivity. But he tells them he's not going to forget them. He said, in 70 years are up, I'll bring you back to this place. And that's exactly what happened. The Babylonians came, um, Nebuchadnezzar came, and they took them off into captivity. But 70 years later, the Persians had overtaken the Babylonians, and now the Persian king Cyrus is on the throne, and he allows the people to go back to Jerusalem, just like God said would happen. So the you in this coffee verse, coffee mug verse, the you is Israel. And what that verse is saying is, that God is faithful and he'll keep his promises even when you're not faithful. So it's a great verse to know. But it's a big jump to go from reaffirming a promise made to a nation to a personal expectation that God will plan out the details of my life. That's a big jump. Well, you think, all right, so maybe that verse is a little bit out of context, but how about the Bible examples that we have of people that God tapped on the shoulder to use for a specific uh, purpose and a, a specific plan? Well, um, there are a few of those that God has did that for, but when you look at it, you look at history as a whole, there's really only a handful of people that God selected to do a particular work, just very few. And when he did, he always made it very clear to them what it was they were doing. There was never any doubt that they were dealing with God, and there was never any doubt about what God expected of them. Uh, so how would you know if God has a specific plan for you? 
Well, let, let's suppose that um, you're out working in your yard and one of your, your knockout rose bushes burst into flames, but you notice the roses aren't burning. So you walk over to look at that bush, and a voice speaks to you out of that bush and says, take off your tennis shoes, you're standing on holy ground. Well, God may have a plan for you. If you're going through the neighborhood in a walks in the evening and all of a sudden a bright light shines around you and knocks you down and blinds you and a voice says, you go home and wait, I'm going to send a preacher to you to tell you what it is I want you to do. Go home and wait for that preacher because God has got something in mind for you to do. But I would not expect and I wouldn't anticipate uh, or encourage you to expect those kind of events in your life. Rather, I would expect that our lives will be kind of a daily grind type of life where we have many decisions to make and very little or no clarity about tomorrow. So I think that God does have a plan, but I think the way we see that plan really has a lot to do with how we see that God works in our life today. And there's really a, a couple of models here. The... Um, here we have two different models of how God may work. One is, the, is a builder, and he's working off of a blueprint. Now, a blueprint um, is, is precise, and it has exact details, and you follow those things perfectly. You can't deviate from a blueprint without messing up the whole plan. That's what you call a micro plan on your handout, if you're, if you're filling that in. It's a builder, it's a blueprint model that is a micro plan. Now, the other over here is, is an athletic, when it's a coach, working off of a game plan. Now, I know that, that's the Washington Redskins coaches, and therefore are evil, okay? <laughs> I, I know that, but I, I'll have to confess, I couldn't find a better picture, okay? So that's the best I could do. Uh, and I thought, well, the guy on the left, number 16 there, that's Colt McCoy. He went to the University of Texas. His dad went to ACU. He's a brother of ours. So I thought, well, you know, maybe I could go ahead and use it, and you'd give me a little grace on this, okay? <laughs> so don't pay attention to the fact that it's the Redskins, just the fact that it's the game plan. And a, and a game plan is focused on the big picture. It's a macro plan. It keeps the big picture in mind, it, and it, has, it can be adjusted. It can be changed as you go along because the whole objective of that plan is, to, is a victory. And that, those are the two ways that uh, maybe God would work in, in the world today. And which, which one of those two do you think is the best model of how God works today? Now, if, if you say that you think that it's the blueprint model, then... Um, then you've just eliminated free will and you've made God responsible for everything that happens. Let's suppose that I really like my job. I do, I'm retired, so I really do like my job. <laughs> but suppose I'm working and I have a job that I really like. The problem is I have a hard time getting to work on time. I'm rarely on time. I'm always late. And then when I give, I'm given projects, usually I don't make the deadlines. I do them and I, sometimes I don't get them done. And the boss has told me over and over again that I need to be more punctual and that I've got to get that worked out. And I kind of ignore it. And I go along, and then finally one day he comes in and he tells me to clean out my desk because I'm through working there. If I take this model as the way I see God working in my life today, that he has this specific plan for me, then I'll go home and I'll tell my wife, God has a different plan for me. God wants me to do something else. 
that's why it happened, because it wouldn't happen if it weren't God's plan, you see. And so it makes it very easy for me to take the consequences of my actions and give them to God, because it's just part of his plan. And another thing, what about all of those heartbreaking things that happen in the world today? Uh, Is that all God's plan? Is that what he's bringing in the lives of other people? What happened on one Sunday morning back in November in in Sutherland Springs? Was that God's plan for those people? Really? How about, we see stories, it was another one this week, and this seemed to be almost every week. Children are abused by parents or adults, and they will go through life with psychological scars and emotional scars because of what some sick person did. Is that God's plan for their life? No. See, I don't think we want to blame God for everything that happens and say that it's all part of his plan because this is not the world that God created. You know, there are awful things that are happening, and, and we hate it, and so does God, but this isn't the world he created. When he created the world, it was perfect. There were no things like that occurred. What happened was the created didn't trust the creator, and that allowed sin and death to come into the world. And once sin and death came into the world, it started creating havoc and has been ever since. Now, God hates what goes on more than we do because he gave his one and only son to fix it. And one day he will come again, and he will restore things back the way they were before. And he'll get rid of sin and death. And they won't be any part of it anymore. But until that happens, sin and death will remain. There will still be havoc from time to time. And we'll have to wait until that day comes. But that's not God's fault. Um, so the other, the, another thing about the blueprint model that we need to think about is, is that, it, that it seems to, to focus on knowledge and emphasizes knowledge over obedience. Because you see, if you, have, if you have the idea that God has a plan for you, then you really can't do much until you know what that plan is. It's hard to obey God if you don't know what the plan is. That's what leads to so many prayers for clarity. Need, God, what is your plan for my life? God, what job is it that you're trying to direct me to? Where do you want me to work? Should I move or should I not move? Do you want me to go to this place or to that place or should I leave, live here? What is your plan for me, God? Should I stay single? Just marry. Is the person I'm thinking about marrying, is that the one I should marry? Or you have somebody else in mind, should I break up with them and wait? See, you can't make a decision if you don't have some idea. But when we look in Scripture, that's not the way Scripture works. Scripture always emphasizes obedience over knowledge. Take, Abraham, take Noah, for example. Noah was a man of faith. And God comes to him and tells him to build an ark. Now, that was one big boat. You look at the dimensions, that was a huge boat. And Noah had never even seen a flood. And God comes talking to him about a flood and a boat of this magnitude and all these animals. What, did, what knowledge did he have of any of that? But what does he do? Does he look for explanations? No, he starts gathering wood because he's going to need a lot of wood to build that boat. And so he starts building, and he builds that boat decade after decade after decade. He works on that boat, finally gets all the animals in the finished product, and it begins to rain. And can you imagine in there, in that big old boat with all that weight, it begins to rain, and it rains, and it rains, and finally the boat begins to rock a little bit, and all of a sudden he can tell that it's lifted up off the earth. And then he can look out, and all he sees are sky and water and that boat. 
You know what? He got understanding about a flood, didn't he? But it came after he obeyed, not before. Now, Abraham the same way. Abraham was promised a son. in years later, before it, the son comes. And he waited and he waited. Finally, when he was so old that it was laughable that he would have a son, that's when he has him, the son of promise. And then a few years later, God comes to him and says, I want you to go take him and sacrifice him. You think maybe Abraham had a few questions about that? How did, did that make sense? How is this promise going to come about? What does Abraham do? He's a man of faith. He doesn't seek understanding. He obeys. He takes and packs up his donkey, and he gets Isaac, and they take off to a place of sacrifice because, that's why, because he trusted God. Now, I suspect on the way back, he had a whole lot more understanding than he did on the way out. But you see... The blueprint model says you get understanding so that you can obey. But the Bible says you obey, and then understanding will follow. So let's look at the game plan for a minute. Let's look at that, uh, that model. A coach knows he has a game plan put together, but he knows that the enemy is going to make some adjustments on that, and they're going to attack that game plan in different ways. And so his game plan has to be flexible. He has audibles. He has counters that he can run. A good game plan can take an attack that the other team is applying to him, and he can turn it into something good. He can make good come out of that. And good means that he brings them closer to that victory. But it's important that the team buy into the game plan. Now, what that means, that's an athletic term that you hear nowadays. All it means is trust. You've got to trust the plan, and you've got to trust the coach to be able to implement the plan to get you to the victory. And God has a big victory and a big victory celebration planned. His big victory we can see in Ephesians 1, verse 9. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan, okay? Here is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. The, everything is going to be under Christ. Christ is coming back again, and he will be, oh, his rule will be over everything in heaven and earth. Every, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess at that time. That's the big plan. That's the big victory that's coming. And Jesus, in his reign, is the, is the victory and the celebration. And because God loves us and because of his grace, he's invited us to be a part of that plan. And we see that in Romans 8. Verses twenty, beginning in verse twenty-eight. I'm using the uh, the New Covenant version on this because I just like the way the wording is on this. But it says, "We know that in everything God works for the good of those who love Him." Now, now we have to stop here because we know that not everything works for good. We've seen not everything is good. In other words, not everything is good. Bad things happen, but God's plan can handle it. That's what this means. It can handle it, and he knows and can take anything that happens, and he can bring good out of it. And the good that he brings out of it is bringing us closer to him and closer to that celebration victory that's going to take place. So we know that everything works, uh, that everything God works for the good of those who love him. They are the people he called because that was his plan. God knew them before he made the world, and he chose them to be like his son so that Jesus would be the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. God planned for them to be like his son. So those that love God, that would be us. 
He planned for us to be like his son Jesus. That's his plan for my life, for me to be like Christ. Um, on the handout there, I've got some things about this plan. It, it is, it's a plan that's clear. He, we know exactly what it is. He wants us to be like his son Jesus. It's not a mystery. And it's a plan that's for the present. The idea of having some plan out there that will be revealed at some later time, well, what does the Bible say about later for us? How much time do we have? Do we know? Are we guaranteed to have tomorrow? No, God's plan is something that is today because that's all we have. So it's a, present, it's a plan for the present. And it's a plan for all disciples, not just some. And we all have the same plan. And it's not to do something, but it's to be something in everything that we do. Let me say that again. It's not to do something, but to be something in everything you do. And that something that we to be is to be like his son Jesus. Colossians 3.17 tells us the same thing. Look at that verse. It says, in whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Now, whatever you do, whatever is kind of a broad general word there. But what it is, see, God has given us freedom of choice. And he allows us to make decisions. And whatever, that's our decision. You pick. But whatever you do, you do it as a representative of Jesus. So what that verse tells me is that, that God is not concerned so much about what job you pick. But he is concerned much about how you do that job. I don't think God is concerned so much about what community or place you choose to live. But he is concerned much about how you live in that community. See, God's plan is to represent Jesus in everything that we do. And we can represent him in a thousand ways, small ways. As simple as just a kind word to somebody who's discouraged or down. A hot meal for a neighbor who's sick. Going to a school to help a child you don't even know learn to read better. Passing out clothes and food to those in need in the neighborhood. Forgiving someone who's hurt you even if they don't ask for it, and even if they don't care whether you forgive them or not. And all these are done in the name of Jesus in hopes of encouraging them to seek a relationship with him. And those, all those little things make a difference and change the world. And this verse also tells me that, uh, uh, that we're all to be missionaries. I don't know if we've thought about that or not. But to be or not to be is not the question. God wants all disciples to be missionaries. But God gives us the freedom to choose our mission field. See, for some it would be a foreign country. But those are only a few that do that. We are in that the other group, the, small, the larger group. And for them, it may, be, it may be an insurance office. Or it may be a bank. Or it may be an HEB store. Or it may be a police department or a fire department. Maybe a hospital. Maybe a radio station, Ben. It's whatever. It's whatever you choose. But whatever you choose, understand that's your mission field. And God cares equally about all mission fields. I know that because in 2 Peter 3, 9, he says that uh, he wants all to come to repentance. All. So if your whatever puts you in contact with someone who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, then that's a mission field he's concerned about. That's a mission field that God wants his son represented in. So it's a valid mission field. 
The problem is, whatever is one of those words that just doesn't sound very important, does it? It's just not a very big word. Sounds kind of insignificant. And truth of the matter is, um, a lot of those things that you do may very well go unnoticed. Likely to be forgotten almost as soon as they're done. May or may not be appreciated. You may not get many thanks. But that's not why we do them. We do them because that's what Jesus would do. But it does bring us to another problem and identifies another problem for our, blue, our blueprint model. And maybe it's the biggest problem of all. The blueprint model wants to make us a star in God's plan. You see, it's pretty appealing to think that, that, that God has worked out a specific plan just for me. That kind of appeals to my ego. And we get encouragement every day from all kinds of places uh, to, to think about things in terms of me. We live in a society that is me-focused. Maybe that's the reason that this, this idea is becoming more and more popular, because it makes us to be a star. And we look at everything through the eyes of me. We, what's, what's in it for me? What makes me happy? You know, it's the American way even. It, didn't the Declaration of Independence uh, tell us that the pursuit of happiness is our right? Well, don't mess with my rights, right? So we even take this me mentality to church with us. You know, um, if you come to worship service and afterwards you want to evaluate whether or not the worship was a good worship or not, what do you typically do? What question do you usually ask? Honestly, the question that typically is asked is, what did I get out of it? What did I get out of it? That's the wrong question because worship is about giving something, not receiving something. The right question is, what did I put into it? Um, See, what happens out here in this auditorium is worship will never please God until what happens in here pleases God because worship starts at the heart. And if, if it's not worship from the heart, then it really doesn't make a lot of difference what we do out here. It won't ever be accepted by God. And then another thing that which shows up, a lot of times when people will move from one congregation to the other, one of the most common reasons for doing that, well, they weren't meeting my needs. My needs. We're called to be like Jesus. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. So maybe a better way to evaluate a congregation is, do they give me the opportunity to serve others? That's the way they should be judged, not by what they're doing for me. See, the world is trying to make us a consumer. But the Holy Spirit is trying to make us a servant. Now, we're not, we are not a star in God's plan, but we do have a role in that, in that plan. Final slide. Oh, here it is. We're not a star in God's plan, but we imitate the star in God's plan. There's only one star, and that's Jesus. We make much of the star. We do everything we can to make the star look good, to make the star look appealing, to show the value of the star to this world that we live in. And all those small, unheralded things that you do in your mission field, well, they're a big deal to one person. And those things that you do that may soon be forgotten, there's one person that won't forget a single word or a single deed. And the others that may never say thank you, 
well, there's one who will come back to say thank you because he will return someday and restore his, his creation to what it was in the, in the beginning, that perfect state. And when he takes sin and death and pushes them out forever, you're going to stand before him, and he's going to look right in your face, and he's going to say, well done, well done. That's what he'll say. And then we'll realize just what a big deal all those little things were because it's those little things that will go to change the world. Now, we're fixing to sing a song. Uh, these lights are so bright, I can't even see the clock. So I don't know if I'm on time or I'm late or I'm early. I don't know. But uh, we're, we're going to sing a song in a minute. And when we do, I, I'd like for you to ask if, if you, in fact, have, uh, have accepted God's plan for your life. He has a plan for us. And, and I can't imagine a greater or a more important plan that we could have for our life than to represent Jesus. Can you? So that's the greatest of all plans, and that's what it is. And if you've accepted that and started it, fine. If you haven't, the only time you've got is today to start. And it starts at the same place for all of us. It starts by being united with Jesus in baptism, having the sins forgiven, and receiving that Holy Spirit, because frankly, there's no way we'll ever be Christ-like without the Spirit. That's the power to do it. And it's through that Spirit that we can become Christ-like day after day after day, little by little, changing the world, having an impact on people around us, allowing them to see what Jesus looked like. And that's God's plan for us. And it's a plan for all of us every day. If you have a need, there'll be some men down here to greet you. Let's come and praise God while we stand.